It's wonderful that God has called us to a feast. God is into feasting in a big way. (laughs) He wants you to feast in his presence. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So the secret is (laughs) to get into the presence and and live there. And live in his presence. There is the secret, isn't it? And you know, as I've gone through my Christian life, I was saying to Alan, I've changed my opinion about a lot of things differently. Because when you're a child, you have childish ideas. When you're an adolescent, you have adolescence ideas. <laughs> and then when you get in the middle and then you look back over your life and you think, what Artie Kendall says is overriding grace that kept me from all the trouble. <laughs> overriding grace. The grace of God, isn't it wonderful? The mercy of God that he has visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he sent the Holy Spirit. And what a wonderful person he is. And you know, the idea is everything you read of, and I was thinking, you know, at this Easter time, thinking of the Passion and thinking of the Passover and thinking how God has made such a wonderful provision for you. I was saying to Paul before the meeting, God is a perfect planner. Everything is planned in detail. Everything was planned before the foundation of the world. Your redemption was planned before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And we could get scripture after scripture of how God sees you in his son and in his righteousness, and he sees you perfect in his righteousness. But he also wants to perfect you. He wants to develop you. He wants you to grow up spiritually so you become strong and powerful in the Spirit, so you can walk by faith and not by sight. The great problem for the believer is to not let his senses, his soul area, that is his mind, will and emotions, dominate him, but he will be ruled from his spirit man, the inner man, that is fed with this. You feast on this, the living bread. You feast on this, the lamb. You drink the water and the wine of the kingdom. And as you eat and drink, you grow and you develop and you grow stronger and bigger so that whatever looks so difficult now looks quite easy. See, David could have never faced Goliath if he hadn't killed a bear and a lion. God was training him. And God is training you to be an overcomer. He's training you to win in this battle of life because you've got an enemy that wants to steal, to kill, and destroy your life. And the problem we've got is that you use things in life to get your attention off Jesus. Your home, your pleasures your possessions, your children, your grandchildren, or whatever it is. <laughs> and, you know, it, you, you've got to keep focused. You've got to keep focused on Jesus. And this is our test and our trial because it says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is my great high priest. I thank God for every ministry that helps me, but it's Jesus who's my great high priest. It's Jesus who's my mediator between me and God the Father. It's Jesus that ascended and was glorified and sent the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus hadn't come, I wouldn't be here, not with you. (laughs) This great plan 
of redemption was planned so perfectly and so wonderfully. And you know, when Jesus came and he prayed in John 17, in John 17, he says these words at the opening of John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Jesus was on a heavenly program. He was fulfilling a heavenly plan. Everything had been planned in detail. And he said, my hour is come. And he said these words, glorify thy son, that's him, that thy son also may glorify thee. The purpose of your redemption is that Christ might be glorified in you, that you might glorify God the Father. Everything about true faith is not about me or you, it's about Jesus. And when you glorify him, you glorify the Father. When you talk about him and you make much of the Son, the Father comes alongside the Son and he eats and drinks with you. And what a change will happen because God is into feasting in a big way. He wants you to enjoy his presence, not endure it. (laughs) He wants you to have your enjoyment in his presence and not in somebody else's presence. He wants you to get your life and your sustenance from the throne and not from the phone. Everybody's walking around with a phone today. You look at them everywhere you go. If you want to ask them a question, they don't look at you. They're too busy banging away on this. You can't even look at them. They can't even look because they're so busy on the phone. No, we should be busy with the person on the throne. Amen. Yeah. We've got to cut out all this stuff. It's all about Jesus. Isn't it? And I'm coming to see my life is hid with Christ in God. It's not hid somewhere else. <laughs> because if I'm going to make glory, I've got to be ready for glory. <laughs> but he's getting me ready. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? God is preparing you for glory. Some people are getting prepared to go to Miami or somewhere. I'm getting prepared to go to glory. Praise the Lord. Some of you don't know what that's about, but some of you do. (laughs) No, you know, we we can get really worked up about all these things. But, you know, (laughs) they're not that important. Thank God, God blesses us with all these things. And he wants us to have these things, but he doesn't want it to be our life. He, He wants him to be our life. Jesus Christ said, I have come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. It's in his, it's, we've got to see it's in his presence. And Jesus said, as thou hast given him, this is Jesus, power over all flesh. This is Jesus speaking. That he shall give what? Eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Well, thank God I've been given to him. And I've got eternal life. Have you got it? It's wonderful. I've got this eternal life. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou sent. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. And this is the big statement. I have finished the work. Jesus was on a work plan from the moment he was born. He didn't come down here to please himself. He came here to please the Father. And everything he did was part of the plan. Now, we've got to get in on the plan. God has called you. God has called me. 
to be part of this heavenly calling, to be a priest in his house. But are you willing? You know, I wasn't willing for a long time. I had to go through some stuff, which was very painful, until I realized that God's plan is better than my plan. And God's plan is better for your life than your plan. You might think you should be doing this, that, and the other, but what does Jesus and what does the Father think about it? Have you put it past him? Have you asked the Father, is this the plan for my life? And if you wait on God, he'll show you what you're supposed to do. Do you know, when I think back about the, the first feast that God gave to Israel was the feast, as you know, probably some of you, was the Passover, wasn't it? And that Passover feast came at the end of a lot of severe plagues upon Pharaoh, wasn't it? God's judgment fell upon Pharaoh, and the final plague was this plague which was coming of judgment on the firstborn of everybody in Egypt. Everybody in Egypt came under the judgment of this last edict from heaven. Every firstborn beast, every firstborn son would die in Egypt when this angel came, unless you cook a lamb and slayed this lamb and took the blood and he put it on the doorposts and the door of the house. So at midnight, when they came through the angel of judgment, if he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. So there was either a dead lamb or a dead firstborn. And that was a prefiguring of the Lamb of God, wasn't it? Our Passover Lamb, Jesus. And you know, I was thinking, if you, if you step forward centuries later, for centuries, Israel had kept annually the Feast of the Passover, didn't they? In commemoration of what happened that night. Think about it. That night... Everybody that was, had the blood of the lamb upon their doorpost, they were healed. Everybody that was sick was healed. Think about it. Everybody that was poor suddenly won the lottery. <laughs> but they had to do something as well. Not only put the blood on the lamb, they had to put fire on that lamb, eat that lamb with bitter herbs, and they had to have unleavened bread, that's no leaven in the bread, and they had to have the staff in their hands, they had to have all their stuff ready to move out. And they all moved out on block. <laughs> Think about it. My Church of England vicar at school said, well, it's just an allegory. It never really happened. But it did happen. Oh yeah, it happened. And they all came out in one night. I don't know, maybe a million, two million, you know, it's the job to know, but two million probably people. And then they all moved out and God delivered them and brought them through the Red Sea and brought them across the Red Sea. Now, this was prefiguring of Jesus, wasn't it? The Lamb. Now, if you turn to... um, Mark chapter 14, and this is what it says in verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, this is the feast of the Passover, came, unleavened bread came after it. They killed the Passover, and his disciples said to him, Where will you go to prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And Jesus sent forth his his disciples, two of his disciples, and said to them, Go to the city, and they shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. 
Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, say to the good men of the house, the master says, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, came to the city, and found as he had said to them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh to the twelve, and he says to them, Verily I say to you, one of you that eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, etc., etc., etc. And then it says in verse 21, And the Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to him by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Were good for him that that man was never born. And this is what Jesus did. And I think I want you to get the picture now. This is the Passover. And outside my bedroom I've got this big, plaque with the Passover, you know, given me by my grandfather and my aunt. I don't know whether it's valuable or not, but it's all plaster, and it shows, you know, sitting, Jesus sitting there. But there's something I realize, and I've read this many, many times. You know, over the years, I've read about this, and I've thought about Jesus taking this, and it We've got to understand that the Passover was a family meal in Israel. Every family would take this lamb every year in commemoration of this dramatic event that happened a millennium before Jesus came. And obviously, you know, when you think about it, this was not the family meal in the traditional sense. I mean, Peter had a family... The disciples all had family, didn't they? But this was the family. It was like a prefiguring of the family of God. In a sense, we are all family if we belong to Jesus, aren't we? I know we're not related from a natural point of view, but we're related from a spiritual point of view. God is a father, and he's got one family, and that's his church, isn't it? So this is a picture of us as a church, as a believers, as disciples then. They're coming together and they're coming to have this Passover. And, and, and actually, if you actually study this, you'll find that this um, Passover, in this commemoration of this big exodus from Egypt... It had, when it had somebody, the head of the family would sit in over the family meal. But as Jesus was there, he was, he was the presider now over this supper. Jesus was sitting now in charge of this supper. And there would be the bread and the wine and the lamb. There would be bitter herbs and leavened bread, and on the table there would be four cups. Four cups. And as this meal progressed, first cup would be taken, the second cup would be taken, and they all drink, and the third cup, and then the fourth cup. And I never really thought about this until recently. And these four cups represented what happened to them when they got delivered out of Egypt. And this is important, because when you take this communion, when you take breaking a bread, you're commemorating a greater event. That was a great event. But this event, you're talking about the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate salvation. Eternal, as Jesus prayed there, give you eternal salvation, to give you eternal life, not a temporary deliverance. This is something forever. So when you come together and take that cup and drink that wine, you're remembering something very important. And what it's doing is concentrating your your mind upon what Jesus, as the Lamb of God, did. And this is important. Because if you can get hold of this, if you can get hold of this, you'll begin to understand 
that your salvation is perfect. It's perfectly perfect. There's not a flaw in it. There's not anything wrong with it. And it can perfectly make you whole. It can perfectly make you whole. But you have to take it and you have to eat it. And this is the problem. Because if you think it's some religious ritual and you just think, oh, just, and your mind's in somewhere else and you don't take it and you don't eat it, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11? You take it and eat it unworthily. And what happens when you take it unworthily? This is what Paul says, Apostle Paul, you don't discern the Lord's body. Think about it. You don't discern the Lord's body. And this has really hit me. I'm coming to see this. When Jesus presided over this and these four cups represented they represented something very important. The four promises. They're found in Exodus 6. 6 and 7, if you want the reference. And they are freedom. They were slaves. We were slaves. I was a slave of sin. I was bound by sin. But Jesus set me free. Isn't it wonderful? My slave is gone. <laughs> Why? Because I've been set free. That was the first cup. The second cup was redemption. And it's redemption through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has redeemed you through his blood. Think about it. The fourth cup. The fourth cup. It's renewed and the fourth cup is, is renewed fellowship. You can't worship God in slavery. You can't be a habitation of God when you're bound. You need to be set free. You need to be redeemed. Don't you? And you need to be rescued. It's rescued. It's rescued, sorry, is the first one. You're rescued. You're free. You're redeemed. And you have restored fellowship. And this is the point. In other words, those people in Israel, in, in Egypt, those Israelites could not redeem, be redeemed released from this slavery and rescued, unless there was a substitutionary sacrifice. And the substitutionary sacrifice was the lamb, wasn't it? And Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. So when Jesus took the third cup, they'd almost completely eaten. The presider takes the words of Deuteronomy 26, if you look there in 26, to bless the elements that's the bread, the herbs, and the lamb. And Jesus would explain the significance of the captivity and their deliverance, i.e. the bread, he says, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers will eat in the wilderness. You see, and when Jesus raised this third cup, he began to explain what they had done for generations. But then he says, as he explains this, Jesus shows them the bread and says something that's never been said before and says, this is my body. Disciples must have looked. This is my body. What does this mean? Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction and my suffering. 
because I am leading the ultimate exodus and the ultimate deliverance from bondage. And then Jesus says, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And this is the oath of the promise between you. And of course, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. And I've been thinking about this. If you could imagine yourself in Israel being in slavery all that time, and then suddenly this tremendous event happens, and then suddenly you're all healed, and suddenly all these Egyptians are giving you gold and silver, and suddenly you come out. It's a tremendous thing what Jesus has done. And then the more I think about this, the more I realize what, it, what it's saying here. Jesus' words means that as a result of a substitutionary sacrifice, there is now a new covenant between God and us, and the braces of our own blood, but my blood of the covenant, Jesus is totally committed himself not to eat and drink until he fulfilled what he had to do. Gethsemane, the trial, the scourging, the crucifixion, until he cried on the cross, it is finished. Think about it. He was committed to it. He was part of this plan of redemption and he knew it had to be fulfilled and he was willing to do it for you and me. And now we come to the main course and this parcel was different to all others because Jesus had blessed the bread and the wine but there's no mention of the lamb. How could this Passover with Jesus be celebrated with no lamb. No roast lamb. Because he is the lamb. He was the lamb. Disciples must have looked at him. Must have thought, what is this? What is this? Yeah. This was something that hit them. I don't think they really got it till after the cross, did they? We know what a difficulty he had thinking he had risen from the dead. But Jesus, there is no lamb. Why? Because he is the lamb. Why hadn't I noticed that before? I don't know. But it hit me. I thought, Jesus was the lamb. So he was the main course. (laughs) Jesus is the man, he said, well, we can look it up in scripture after scripture. And this is what, what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Jesus is the Lamb. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And thank God, with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his house. He was brought as what? A lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before a shearer is dumb, so opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison. He made it, it, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed to prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. My The more I think about this, and the more you think about that, you have to remember and keep remembering what Jesus did. Otherwise, you can lose it. This world will get at you. It will bring you down. But you can keep looking at Jesus, and you can keep walking by faith. And so when I take the bread, 
and they take the wine. I'm beginning to understand. Now, this is the last course, and this is important. This is um, in Luke. um, And Luke explains this. He says, he says, do this, Luke says, in remembrance of me. And we know if we look in the Lord's Supper in Luke in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, he calls it the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table in 1 Corinthians ten twenty one, or the communion or the cup of blessing in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, or the breaking of bread in Acts two forty two. And the bro- the bread was broken, it was given, it was eaten. The body of Christ was given, it was, bro- it was broken for our sins, and the wine was poured out to drink as a reminder of Christ's blood poured out on the cross for our sins. So as Luke says, it reminds us of the original Passover. But this is what I'm coming to see. You have to take it in. You have to realize and appropriate it to your life. You have to receive it actively. You have to take what Jesus has done for you. And you have to feed your heart on him in your hearts by faith. For food is no benefit unless it's taken in and eaten. I say to you, this is the real food I need. Christ's unconditional commitment to me. It's a Passover. It's a shared meal. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a communion. I'm part of the family of God. God is my Father. And he's presiding over this when I take this in his Son's name. We have to realize this. But when he said, drink it new with you, there's coming a big feast one day. And it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to eat and drink it new in his kingdom. We say this, we proclaim his death until he comes. And he's coming. Hallelujah. Isn't he? He's coming. But when you come to this table, remember, he's the lamb. You've got to learn to eat and drink of him. And you'll be made whole. You will. You'll be made completely whole. And you know, when I was studying this and thinking about this, I was thinking how wonderful this is. Do you know when Paul is talking in Romans 8 and he says these words, these famous words, Henry's favorite chapter. (laughs) He says these words, doesn't he? There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the Lamb has taken all your sins and your iniquities. It was laid on him. There is no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. So you have to understand the communion. You have to understand that you must be in communion with God. And God has made a way and an element to remind you of that communion. To reinforce, Luther says, on your mind, what Jesus has done for you at the cross. And don't ever forget it. Wigglesworth used to take communion every day. And if you're in need, you need to humble yourself and get some bread and wine and read these scriptures if you're in need and take communion. But in order to have communion, you need union. You need union. You have to be part of the family to take communion, don't you? But how do you get union? 
you need to come to God and make him your source, your lamb, your substitute, your savior, to save you and rescue you and set you free. And this is what Paul says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. What? From the law of sin and death. When Jesus said it's finished, he set a new law in motion, the law of the spirit of life. He finished the plan, and the law of sin and death was abolished. (laughs) And we got a new law. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he says, for what the law could not do. The law could never save you. It will never save you. It can't save you. It wasn't designed to save you. It was there to tell you what the, what's right and what's wrong. It came alongside the covenant of grace that was established in Genesis 3.15. Noah was saved by grace. Abraham was saved by grace. Isaac was saved by grace. Jacob was saved by grace. And I'm saved by grace. They look forward to the cross. I look back on the cross. But that, that, that man is coming. That son of man is now a glorified son of man. And he's coming back for his own. <laughs> he's coming back for me. Is he coming back for you? Are you ready? Are you a foolish virgin that's left and not kept oil in your lamps? Or is he, have you got a light burning in your house? Is there something happening in your house? Yeah. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin and condemn sin in the flesh, he says. And this is the big verse. I want you to get this verse. That the righteousness of what? The law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He says, For they that after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, and then he makes this statement, to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life, everlasting, eternal life, and peace. What does that mean? Wholeness. I can be completely whole, no matter what age you are, you know, whatever you feel, with his stripes, I am healed. I'm made whole. You take it. You feast. Do you know what the old saints, my grandmother used to say? We feast on the Lamb. As they ate that lamb and that unleavened bread, those people were healed. Well, that was a shadow and type of Christ. As I eat this lamb, I'm healed. I'm made whole. And that's what I got to do. And that's what I do. And it works. This gospel works. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, but it's not subject to the law of God, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, he says, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, is none of his. And then he makes this big statement. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but, and this is the big but, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And he says, If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. He quickens your mortal body. He can quicken your mortal body by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Quicken your mortal body by his Spirit that dwells in it. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh 
to live after the flesh. But if you live after the flesh, you should die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of this body, you shall live. That is our spiritual service. That's what we have got to do. When we become, when Israel got redeemed and they came out of that bondage and they were rescued, redeemed and released, what, was, what did God do? He built a tabernacle where he could come down. And when Jesus got glorified and went into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit And he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, etc., etc., etc. Why? They had a habitation for God in the wilderness, in a tent. But guess where the habitation is now? It's in you. It's in you. But do you know it? Do you realize that you become God wants to function in you? He wants you to have this light and glory, this love, this joy, this peace, this rejoicing. No matter what happens, the joy of the Lord is in the house of God. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. Satan's got a lot of pleasures. He can indulge you. He can tickle your flesh. He can play on your senses. He knows how to do that. He's a master at it. But if you can keep in the house and live in the house and become a habitation of God's spirit, as God's spirit and dwell in the spirit, and this is the key, Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the law of Moses. He never failed in one thing. He crossed, he dotted every I, he crossed every T, he fulfilled all that legal requirement. And so now, the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from that law of sin and death. Isn't it? I'm set free. You know, Artie Kendall says that, and Alan's read this book, and uh, you know the book I'm on about. And I'll read you what Artie Kendall says, and some people might find this difficult, but I, t- I agree with him. Christians are not under that law, he says, and we're not. We're under, we're under the new law, the law of grace. But under what he says, the law of Christ. And he's right. The law of Christ, he says, is more demanding and presents a greater challenge to the Christian. (laughs) And it does. Oh, yeah. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at that pretty girl and think, hmm, she's nice. And I lust after her. He says, that's adultery. That's not the act of adultery. That's the thought of it. Isn't it? The law says it only works if you do it. The law of Christ says if you think about it, it is wrong. It's stronger. You know, years ago when I began to discover this, when I was studying Romans 6, and I got a revelation I never had before. <laughs> but I always remember thinking, the law can only make demands on you and tell you what's wrong. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ can prosecute you and fine you. You can. Oh, yeah. You know, some people got a strange idea about grace. Grace is the power source of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace that leads, and I keep saying this, to the kingdom, to glory. And if it's so, grace is so powerful... It's, when you look at Jesus, it says he was full of grace and truth. 
Well, they couldn't take Jesus, as we've said before. He had to lay down his life. And even when they, they smote him and they beat him and they crucified him and he was hanging on the cross, that man with all that suffering could turn to John the Apostle and say, Mary, see Mary, my earthly mother, you take her into your home and look after her because I'm going. A man with all that suffering could, could handle a situation on the cross like that and the thief next to him and talk to a thief. That's the son of God. That's the son of man. Think about it. Think about how powerful Jesus is. Just think about it. Grace, could it conquer him? Read what Acts 2 says. This is what Acts 2 says. Read what the uh, Apostle Peter's preaching in Acts 2. Is it at the end of Acts 2? Where is it, Acts? He says, Jesus being delivered in verse 23 by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified his slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden in it. And he spoke of David, and he said, verse 27, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. It was hell for Jesus to be separated from his father. He was even separated in the cry of dereliction. Not only did he bear your sufferings physically, he, dis- he-, 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 he suffered the separation from his father. He no longer called him father, he called him my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And then it says further on about David. And in verse 31, And seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Jesus. That's grace. That's how powerful grace is. When you get hold of this grace, get hold of his favor, You're more than a conqueror. Nothing can defeat you. Nobody can pluck you out of his hands. You just have to understand your union. And your union gives you communion. And your communion gives you dominion. You see, a lot of people don't understand this union. They just don't seem to get it. They think they're just a forgiven sinner. You're much more than a forgiven sinner. You've been declared righteous. You're a child of a king. You're part of the household of faith. And this is what he says in Romans 5. This is union. If you want to know what union is, read Romans 5. This gives you it. From verse 12 on, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin, that's Satan, entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We've all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law, etc., etc. And I won't explain all that. And he says in verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the fee gift. And he says, for if through the offense of one, Satan, many be dead, says, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to many. And not as by the one Satan that sinned, so is the gift of the judgment, so was by the one to condemnation, but the free gift of many offenses. And he repeats it again, by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And he says it again. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment, so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification by life. And he says it again. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So... 
by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That is union. I was in Adam. I'm now in Christ. Nobody can move me. I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm now in this kingdom of God, a kingdom of grace, that where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. It cannot conquer grace. Grace is Jesus. He wins every time. And no matter what you've done, don't you let, if you believe in the body and blood of Jesus, and you believe what Jesus has done for you on the cross, then as you put your faith in that blood, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who in Christ Jesus, but we have to learn to walk in the Spirit. This is the secret. This is the secret. But what I've done and what you've done in your past, you must not let the enemy stop you coming to that table. I must not stop you having communion with the Lord. And as you eat and drink of that wine and that bread, it's reinforcing on your mind what Jesus did on the cross. And as you eat it in faith, and you take it, and you eat it, and you feast on that lamb, you'll be made whole. You will. It's a tremendous covenant. It's the New Testament, the new covenant in his blood. It's signed and it's sealed and it's legal. The enemy cannot undo it. He is finished. Jesus says in Colossians, he spoiled principalities and powers. He destroyed his power. He's got no power. His only power is deception. You tell, you wake up every morning and say, thank you, thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you that I've got his righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you feel you're failing, say, I've got your righteousness, Lord. I've got your grace, Lord. I've got your empowerment. I've got the Holy Spirit in my life. I can win through this. I can triumph over this because I look at you, Lord. I look at you on the cross. I look at you being embalmed. I look at you being in that tomb. And I think of Mary. Oh, you know, a lot of people like Mary. They got, they think, well, that's the end of him. I'm going to get his body. And if it's not in the tomb, I'm going to take it home. And I'm going to keep it in my house, that body, because she loved the Lord. But he's not dead. He's alive. Do you know when you eat the bread and drink the wine, the lights go on. Suddenly you feel alive. He's not dead. He's alive. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? You know, Mary's in the tomb there. She's weeping. She said, oh, Jesus. She just loved Jesus. Do you know, we, we need to be like Mary. We just need to love Jesus. As Andrew used to say, this is a love affair. I always remember I was very religious. Came to one of Henry's meetings and he said, everybody stand and say, say this, he said, I love you, Jesus. Ah, my religious throat choked on that one. I thought, what? Am I supposed to say that? Yeah. I went home so blessed in here, and my brain was going like this. Well, the disciple's brain was going like this. This person we saw, brutalized, crucified, buried, and now we've got Mary coming and tell us, he's alive. <laughs> yeah, he's alive. But he is alive. You know, Mary was standing there weeping. And she said, Sorry, it was the gardener. She said, Do you know where they take my Lord? Am I going to get him? And Jesus said one word <laughs> Mary. Mary. And her eyes were open. Do you know when the two were on the road to a mess, how did they know it was Jesus? Because he broke 
the bread. <laughs> Their eyes were open. You see, when you come to this word in communion, what happens? Jesus, your high priest, breaks the bread. <laughs> and suddenly, you see things in the kingdom you never saw before. Why? Because Jesus is in the house. <laughs> we all belong to this family. Jesus is into feasting. Yes, he'll give you everything you need there. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his right, and everything should be added to you. And I know some of us that were blessed by Henry, God has added to us. I mean, I could talk to people here, I know. <laughs> and God has added to us, supernaturally. We don't quite know where it's all come from. It's supernatural. Jesus is supernatural. Jesus takes something and it just grows. It just develops. Grace is a growth. Isn't it? The law is dead. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Jesus says this word is a seed. It's seeds. You know what you do with seeds? You plant them and they grow. <laughs> and you get a lot more and you get fruit and then the fruit is a lot more seeds. And so you've got a lot more seeds. And instead of having one, you have all these seeds. So you can plant some more, and you get a lot more, and it just grows. That's grace. Isn't it wonderful that God has called you to the kingdom? So will you do your spiritual service? Will you present your body a living sacrifice every day? Your body. Jesus was a living sacrifice. He did it for you. He says, Paul says, mortify your deeds on earth. God is calling you to a life in the spirit. As I said before, not scratching down here, but living up there. <laughs> Taking your place in heavenly places where Jesus sits at the table of the Lord. And when Jesus feeds you, you'll be satisfied. you say, thank you, Lord. It's so wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Why? Because he introduces you to the Father. And the Father's love for you, that he gave you the Son. And the Son has sent you the Holy Spirit. And he's here now to make you completely whole. Yeah. You come to the labor and you wash. Read this, it'll wash you. It just washes you. And then you come to this holy place, you're in a man, and there's light, there's bread, and there's worship. Do you know Satan's problem when he fell? He stopped worshipping God. Think about it. Don't ever stop worshipping your Father God and Jesus. Wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, thank you for giving your body and blood for me. For going there and taking it, me down. That old man I was in Adam died. Why? Because it was crucified when Jesus was crucified. My old man that was me, Gordon Davis, has been buried. And the old stinker's gone. And I've been raised a new person. Isn't it wonderful? I've got a new name. It's written up in heaven. I'm written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I've got in on the plan. And I don't mean to leave losing, getting out of the plan either. I'm staying on it. I'm staying in the house. As I said to you last time he's here, it's time to pack your bags and move in with Jesus. <laughs> Isn't it? Is there anybody else can give you eternal life? Anybody else can give you glory to come? 
This old world's getting worn out. Peter says it's about to burn up and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You know, Connie and Roy used to sing those songs in the other day. I am going to a city where the streets are paved with gold. We're going to a city. We're going to a feast, aren't we? So let's start eating and drinking. Let's start eating and drinking. Just lift up your hands. Let's lift up our hands and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your body and blood. Give us a new revelation of you as the Lamb of God. That at that table, you were the Lamb. And we come today, Lord, to glorify you. Oh, we glorify you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. And Lord, be glorified in us. May each one experience that inner glory, that inner witness, that inner peace, that inner assurance, because they're now joined to Christ. They're in Christ. And because they're now in the house, they have communion. And because they have communion, they have dominion. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that where we are gathered in your name, you are in the midst. And surely, Lord, you are in the midst because we give you glory. We give you honor and we give you praise. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for this wonderful salvation that you're so good to us, Lord. Give us a new revelation, a fresh revelation. Help us to serve you acceptably with godly fear. You know, Jesus is looking, as he said to the woman at the well, he's looking for true worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can go on from where you are. You can get your spirit developed. You can get your faith made stronger. Because God is calling you to be a witness and to speak the word of God where you are. You have to realize that you are a child of the king. Apostle John said, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And he's calling you to decree his word. You can declare his word and it will not return to you void. It will not. And you, can't, you forget your past, forgetting those things that are behind, Paul said. I press towards the mark. And you can press and you can see more and more and more. Isn't it wonderful? You can see more you can get bigger and stronger. Why? Because Jesus wants you to be glorify the Father. We're called to glory and virtue. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue brings you into knowing God. Jesus never failed. On one part of the plan that God called his father called him to he fulfilled it in details and he said it is finished and all you've got to do is believe and receive it isn't it wonderful hallelujah oh praise the Lord the Lord help us to enter in by faith it's all on the table 
It's all there. It's all prepared. Jesus has prepared everything. In my Father's house, there's everything. Well, you're part of Father's house. You've got a seat up there in heavenly places, haven't you? But will you stay down here? Or will you ascend the hill of the Lord? You know, I was thinking about David. <clears throat> and David had made some mistakes, but one thing David was strong on, and that was the presence of God. And he said, I'm going to get that ark where it should be. And the Lord is saying to you, get the ark where it should be, right in here. Right inside you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You don't need to run anywhere. As Henry used to say, it's in you, brother. (laughs) And it is. (laughs) It's right in you. And you can enjoy it. And you know, David, every six paces... He sacrificed because he was so glad he was getting this art back, didn't he? Some people reckon it took him 75 days to go six miles. I'm not sure that's right, but I think they got that wrong. But it took him a long time to go six miles because he kept rejoicing. Well, that's why we rejoice. (laughs) Because we've been rescued. We've been free. We've been redeemed. And he's he's fulfilled every cup. And we are now delivered. We are in this house and he's got his, his ring on, he's got robes on, we've got shoes on our feet, we've got the garment of praise, and we've got the garment of righteousness, haven't we? So, have you got it? Yeah. <laughs> have you got it? <laughs> the next hour will come short. No, I'm finishing now. <laughs> <laughs>